Good morning, Crossroads. How we doing? So good to see you. Can we welcome together our Lexington campus, our Shelby campus, and those of you online. Can we give them a hand? We love you guys in Lexington, Shelby, and those of you online. Uh, we know many of you aren't ready to be back yet, and so thank you for joining us online. And uh, you're a part of us. Don't feel like uh, you're distant. Uh, we know we want you to be the safest possible, and so we're thankful you are with us. And as always, Lexington and Shelby, we love you. Uh, you know, uh, when Ernesto Jacob and I wrote that song that we just sang, uh, you know, in my mind were faces of people that have walked through difficult situations, things like loss, uh, things like marriage struggles. Even this COVID-19 moment, there have been many of you, there, the faces of people that have walked through this. In fact, just even this week, a, a, a strong gentleman in our church uh, is in ICU because of COVID-19. I think of a loss that has happened as a result of just, just uh, some cancer and different things that, that goes on. And, and some of you that are walking through difficult circumstances, that song, uh, we all at times are gripped with fear, aren't we? At times fear can grip us. And uh, we want to write that as a reminder that we don't fear because we know God is here. And and you know, there's sometimes we think that God is out there, God's distance. No, God is right here with us. He is in us as believers and he's at work and he's always there. He is always there. We don't have to invite him here this morning. He's here. And I love that fact, that truth. And so that's the idea of that song. And so I just want to take a moment to, to have a word of prayer. I know many of you are walking through some difficult things. Uh, some of you that have lost jobs. Some of you walking through some financial situations. And I just want to pray for you. Some of you that are still experiencing loss in your life. I just want to take a moment across every campus. If you just bow with me. I just want to pray for those, of, those who are walking through difficult things right now. God, we thank you uh, that you are God that you are sovereign, that you are provident, that you know exactly what you're doing. And God, as we look at the circumstances of our lives, God, sometimes it's sickness, or sometimes it's finances, or sometimes it's struggle, or sometimes it's questions, sometimes it's loss. And God, we ask these questions, and it's so easy for fear to grip us. God, I want to pray for those that are walking through those difficult circumstances. Lord, I think of a family right now. The, uh, the, the, the patriarch is, is walking through COVID-19. I think of uh, a family that experienced loss this week. I, Lord, I think of a family that's, that's walking through marriage issues, and they're trying to figure out uh, the, what the foundation of their family should be on. God, I think about others that are walking through kids that have rebelled, and they're trying to figure out how to love them but bring them truth. God, as we walk through these circumstances, and many others, God, we just pray that you would be the God of comfort, a God of strength, a God of hope. Lord, that you would be the lifter of their heads, that you would be the confidence in their souls, that, God, you would remind them of the access they have in you, that you are here, that you're not some distant God, that you are here today, right now, in our circumstances, with us, and that, that our, our, our faces would rise, our countenance would change. God, those questions might still be there, but we have a boldness we didn't have. And so, God, I pray that you would work in every circumstance, that you would bring yourself great glory in whatever it is that we walk through. And whether you answer according to what we want, uh, Lord, we know you're going to answer according to your will. And, God, we pray that your will would be that you get the greatest glory in whatever it is that we're walking through. So we lift up these families. God, work in only a way that you can. In your name, Jesus, we pray. 
Amen. Amen. You would turn with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there is one in the seat back in front of you. If you turn with us to page 977, Ephesians chapter 3. At every campus, you can grab one of those Bibles. If you don't have one, take it home with you. If you're online at home, uh, you can go right to our app and you can follow along in the notes section. We'd love to have you join us. Ephesians chapter 3. As we turn there, uh, kind of a big update, uh, specifically here at Park Avenue. Uh, we have been doing, since we've reopened, five services here at our Park Avenue campus. I just want to make an announcement. We're going to be changing that. Uh, we feel like we, we've been able to do that enough. Our, our hope was to provide the safest place for everyone to come back. Uh, we feel that we're still going to offer that by going back to three services, but at different times. We're going to be having three services beginning on July 26th, so two weeks from now. Uh, we're going to be having 9 o'clock, 11 a.m., and then 5 p.m. Now, I know for some, the, the Saturday night we had, we're going to kind of pause that. Uh, we'll always, as always, we reevaluate our services, but 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m., we believe gives us the greatest potential to reach more, serve more, and give more of ourselves for the sake of the gospel. And so we're looking to the future and saying, hey, this might be a safe place to be. We're not sure how this is going to turn in the future, but this will be the safest way. It also gives our team a little bit of uh, continuity. Uh, we have been going hard uh, over the last month, uh, a little little over a month, going five services. So this is something that our team was saying, what could put us in the greatest place to serve out of the greatest, uh, the greatest strength? And we believe by having services here at Park Avenue, 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m. So that'll begin July 26, two weeks from now. Uh, so you don't have to make reservations, just come. Uh, we're going to continue to follow every protocol that we've been asked to follow uh, to be able to make sure the church uh, remains a safe place. Obviously, it's not a perfect place. Uh, we walk in, there could be any germs here, but we're doing the best we can wiping things down, following the protocols in our children's ministry. So we'll continue that, but we'll do that in three services. We, we didn't know what to expect, so we wanted to provide as many services as was necessary to get everybody back. Uh, obviously, for some, you're not ready to come back yet, and we're thankful for you, and uh, we're going to continue to provide uh, online as well as at every campus. Ephesians chapter 3, we're in a series called Weird, and we're talking about what is our identity in the new normal? Like this new normal that we're all experiencing, the pull and frustrations that we feel in the midst of these, this season of quarantine and the seasons of, of all this news that's going about, not knowing what's true or not, what does our identity look like? What does our identity in Christ look like when the pull of culture is trying to take us away? How do we have firm identity in the Lord? How do we make sure that we know what Christ is doing? What I love about the book of Ephesians as we're journeying through this book is that Paul does not begin with a checklist. He doesn't just say, do A, B, and C, and you'll have Christian identity. He begins not with what we do, but with who we are. Let me tell you why. If you're going to fashion or form your worldview, and by the way, everybody here has a worldview. Everybody you meet with has a worldview. They view through a lens the life they live. If you're going to have a worldview, the worldview that you have is based upon two realities. First of all, it is based upon the reality of your origin. Where did you come from? And then secondly, your worldview is based upon your destiny. Where are you going? Where did I come from? And where am I going? And between is what I do when I know those two realities. So what does Paul do? Paul begins by giving us firm identity 
in describing to us who we are. Remember Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. Uh, you were dominated by the worldly systems. You, you were destined for wrath. That's who we were. Without Christ, we are dead in our sins. He gives us our origin. But then you remember in chapter 1 and 2, he comes back with this picture of who we are and our destiny. That we are chosen by the Father, that we are redeemed by the Son, that we are secured by the Spirit. That where we're going is based upon the work of God, not of works, but by grace through faith we are saved. And so he describes to us this worldview. He gives us a glimpse into who we are and where we're going. Why is that important? Because God understands if you lose your history, you will lose your future. If you don't remember who you were, you'll never know where you're going. Do you remember that movie Cars? And one of my favorite movies. And one of my favorite characters in the movie Cars was Tow Mater. Remember Tow Mater? He would drive backwards, the tow truck. And he had this line. He, he, they would ask him, how, do you be, how are you able to drive backwards? And he describes, he says, you don't have to know where you're going. You just got to know where you've been. Right? That's the, the Apostle Paul. He's saying, listen, if you know who you were and you know what Christ has done in your life, then you're going to know where you're supposed to go. You're going to know what to do. And so he begins this letter by telling us, here's you who you are. Now, as we come to chapter 3, chapter 3 begins a transition. Chapter 3 is the transition between who we are to now building in what we do. He begins to build the building blocks of activity. Or let me describe it this way, identifying marks of our identity. He is going to give us the identifying marks of our identity. Now, you and I all physically have features that identify us. Uh, our, our hair style, our eye color, our, the way we walk, uh, our, our body build. We have features that identify us. Or I, I think about our Lexington campus pastor, Pastor Ron Biddle. And if you know Ron Biddle, man, he is amazing. I always say when I get older, I want to be like him because he still has a cool edge to him as he's getting older. And uh, he's just a great guy to be around, a lot of fun and uh, a great heart. I call him the mayor. He knows everybody. That guy knows everybody. And, uh, but, but Pastor Ron uh, years ago lost his ring finger in an accident while putting up a net on a goalpost at one of his son's uh, practices or games. And he lost his ring finger. Most people don't even realize, like if you're around and most people don't even see that he doesn't have a ring finger, it just doesn't stand out, but he lost most of the portion of his ring finger. Uh, some of you right now at the Lexington campus, you're looking at Pastor Ron wondering, I didn't see that, I never noticed it, and you wouldn't. So I, we have this banter that goes back and forth. I, I remember being in Cambodia a few years ago with Pastor Ron, and I all of a sudden went like this, I went like, Pastor Ron, what happened to your finger? And you could watch all the kids' eyes turn like, what just happened to his finger? It like disappeared. Uh, so we do this randomly. Like I'll, we'll be in places and we'll be at conferences or something. I'll be like, Ron, your finger fell off. What happened? And people just start to freak out a little bit. Now, uh, I just created curiosity at the Lexington campus. They're not going to listen to the rest of this message. All they're going to do is wonder about Pastor Ron's ring finger. Yes, it's not there. Uh, you, you can check it out. Um, in fact, at the end of the service, make sure he raised it up for you so you can see it. It is an identifying mark to Pastor Ron. I know Pastor Ron because I can look at his hand, and I know he doesn't have a ring finger. It is an identifying mark in his life. And by the way, sometimes in our lives, scars can be identifying marks. 
the things we've walked through, the difficulty we've overcome, our identifying marks. We have these identifying marks. So what Paul's going to do is he gonna, he's going to begin to lay out identifying marks for you and I as believers. Take a look with me, Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to begin in verse 1. It says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, and has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now here's Paul, and I want you to notice how Paul begins this chapter. He says, for this reason. And the question we have to ask is, for what reason? Well, if you go back to chapter 2, remember last week, uh, Pastor Josh in Shelby, Pastor Jesse, Pastor Mike here at Park Avenue in Lexington, they preached this message from Ephesians chapter 2 about the idea that God has made peace with us, that God provides peace for us. He broke down the wall of separation between us and God, but he also broke down the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. That this is the work of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is that Christ came and died on the cross. He walked out of the grave, and in, in his death and resurrection, the wall of separation because of sin away from God has been taken down. It has been torn down, and now we have access to relationship with God. But not only access, we also have access to each other. Jew and Gentile are now set aside. They're now accomplished. They're now uh, put, put aside. So here are these newfound Christians, and they've heard this truth, and Paul says, for that reason... For the reason, the fact that there is now peace between us because of the work of Christ. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. I want you to notice something. Do you notice at the end of verse 1 a dash? Paul here goes typical preacher mode. He begins a thought for this reason. I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. And all of a sudden... He stops, and the editors want us to know here that he pauses his thought, and he goes in on a tangent like every preacher does. He pauses and says, wait a minute, I want to tell you something. Now, what Paul knows about what they're walking through is that what he's going to do is he's actually going to pause and he's going to pray. We're going to know that because we're going to see it at the end. He's going to go back to his original thought, but he pauses. Why? Because he realizes as he says for this reason, he knows that many of those Jews and Gentiles in that church, the church of Ephesus, that many of them would say, wait a minute, Paul, you're sitting in a prison cell. You're sitting in a prison cell, and you're the one that brought us the gospel, and if you're sitting in a prison cell, could it be the end of faith? Could it be that the gospel isn't going to go forth? Could it be that the wall of hostility begins to build again? Could it be that we're going to fall back in the same trap we were in before? And so Paul says, he begins to say for this reason, but he pauses and says, hey, i got to tell you something. Because I know you're worried about me, and you're worried about the future of the church. You're worried about the future of your lives. So I'm going to pause. He says, for that reason. But then he goes into a different statement. And what Paul gives us is a picture of his ministry. 
What Paul gives us is the understanding that he was called to, have, to, to help reveal the plan of God. Paul realizes he is a part of something greater than just merely being someone in a prison cell. And what Paul wants them to realize is that God is still doing something greater even though he's in a prison cell. And so he begins to give them a little bit of history. By the way, notice what he says. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of who? Not of Caesar, who at the time would be Nero, but of Jesus Christ. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. What is he saying? He's saying, I am in a prison cell, but ultimately my prison ship is not in this cell. It is in Jesus. And I am writing on behalf of you Gentiles. Now notice what he says. He tells us this beautiful picture of his own ministry. Verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me, so he's speaking about himself, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. When you read this, you can perceive my insight in the mystery of Christ. What we find is Paul says, here's a part of what I'm about. A part of what God's plan for me was is to reveal a mystery. What we find is Paul gives us revealed mystery. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like mystery. I like to be in the know of things that are happening. For example, um, there are some exciting things that are happening in and among our church, even in the midst of the pandemic. Um, there are some things that are just amazing that only God could write this story. But I can't tell you yet what they are. Don't you just hate that? Can I be honest with you? I love it. I love it. I'm in the know. I, like, I know, and, and I can't share it yet, but I'm going to share it eventually, and I want to share it right now, but I can't. i got to hold on to it. We've got to make sure we got the information right. But God's doing something. Now, how many of you immediately just want to come up and fight me because of that? Like, some of you are going to be like, Pastor Dave, I want to go to lunch because I want to talk to you. I want to find out this mystery, right? I don't know about you, but I don't like mysteries. I want to be in the know. I want to know what's happening. By the way, do you know this? The number one selling newspapers and the number one selling magazines, both online and in person, in our country are gossip columns. It's the number one looked at and read information source, our gossip columns. Why? Because we want to be in the know. We want to know what's happening. So Paul here says, there's been a mystery. In fact, go down to verse 9 for a moment. Notice he says in verse 9, and to bring to life for everyone is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages. He says there's been a mystery that's been hidden for ages. And now I get the opportunity to reveal it. What is the mystery? That's the question I want to know. What is the mystery? Notice what he says. Verse 6. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. No one says, wow. No one goes, whoa. No one goes, how awesome is that? And the reason is because they would have. Remember, God began in his choosing of a nation, a, pe a person, Abraham, and, and Abraham became a nation. That nation became the Jewish people. All of God's promises and covenants were based upon the Jewish people. And then Christ comes, and now the wall is broken down, and Gentiles, the rest of the world, are brought in. By the way, notice the, the phrasing in verse 6. Very, very beautiful. It says, this mystery is that Gentiles, and notice these words, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise of Christ. All of those words, three words, begin with the prefix soon, or spelled like son. And that prefix literally means together with. 
He says, all of a sudden, Jew and Gentile are together, that we're together in this. Now, for you and I, Jew and Gentile is not our fault line. Our fault line is not necessarily Jew and Gentile. Our fault lines are things like economy, economics, racial tensions, cultural realities, political drawing lines. Our, 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 our fault lines aren't Jew and Gentile, but they are certainly other things. And by the way, can we just confess, it's very divided in our country right now. Across all of those lines, culturally, ideologies, economically, racially, politically, we are a divided place. What is Paul saying? In a divided world in their day, he says the mystery of God is that he's brought together people that would normally understand each other, would normally gather together, would actually be enemies of each other, and he brings them together in the same body and says, now you are sharers together of this body. You work together. This is God's doing. Right, what God does is he breaks down the walls that we live and experience and he makes us one and calls us to rise above them and reveal them. So can I tell you, in a world divided, this is a message we need to hear. Because the only thing that ultimately brings unity is a gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only thing that actually changes lives from our preferences and our ideologies is that we are one in Christ. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your creed. It doesn't matter your political persuasion. It doesn't matter what wall you can put up. God has broken them down in the gospel and he's made us one. It's a good moment for an amen. He's, he's made us one. I, I think that should excite us. I mean, imagine. You can draw a line anywhere you want. But God has said, I'm taking the lines away. There are no second-class citizens in heaven. Uh, you ever flown in a plane? And you get in line, and, and, and they start to call you. You're in the terminal, and they start to call up the, the tickets. And the first thing they start with are those first-class passengers. Can I have your attention, please? We're asking you all first-class passengers, diamond, platinum, gold members. Please make your way to the gate. We're going to take you on board first. And the rest of us are gypsies and vagabonds. <laughs> like, don't you feel that way? Like, they get to walk in, they got their briefcase, and they look all good, and they walk in there, and they get their big seat, which is ridiculous because now you got to walk by them to get your seat. Why they put them on first? But they put them on first, and you, then you get to stare at them as you walk in, right? You walk in the plane, you just stare them down. Like, yeah, you shouldn't be sitting there, man. That's the way it feels, doesn't it? But you watch the first-class passengers. Listen, in heaven, there are no second-class passengers. There are no third-class. There's no economy passengers. In heaven, there are all first-class passengers. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel. And Paul says, this has been revealed to me. Doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter your color. Doesn't matter your creed. In Christ, you are one. And Paul tells us this because it's not a fact to contemplate it is a fellowship to live. Not a fact just to know. It is a fellowship that you and I must live. That Jesus breaks down the walls between us. We who were natural enemies are no longer enemies. So Paul says, this is the mystery that was given to me to give to you. Now Paul goes on here. Take a look at what he says next. Verse 7. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring life for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. 
This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus before him, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And notice his, his summary statement here. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. He says, listen, don't lose heart. Why? Because not only did I reveal a mystery to you, not only did God reveal a mystery, but God also gave me an incomparable ministry. God revealed a mystery, but he also gave me an incomparable ministry. Reveal mystery, and number two, incomparable mystery. An, an incomparable mi ministry. I have a ministry that is incomparable. Notice verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister. What is it? To me, though, I am the very least. He says, I am the very least of all the people. Remember, Paul was the one who was Saul, who killed Christians. And now he was given this calling. God took the scales off of his eyes, gave him a mission, a ministry, an incomparable ministry. And that ministry is to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring the light for everyone as a plan of the mystery for ages. He says, I've been given an incomparable ministry and it is to reveal the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ to you, to Gentiles, to those who are without God. The unsearchable riches. I love this word unsearchable. Uh, the word unsearchable here literally means to not be able to trace it out. It's the word to not trace. Um, I'm not, I've shared with you before, I'm not very handy. I'm not very creative. I'm creative in other ways, uh, like I love videos and things like that, but, but I'm not creative when it comes to using my hands. I'm, I'm left-handed. I went to the inner city public school. I remember as a kid, uh, they had no right-handed scissors, so I never learned how to cut. And so I remember as a kid, I, I never, never learned how to use scissors and, and, uh, because I never had the left-handed scissors there. And I, so as I grew up, I just had always had other people cut. So I'm not very good at drawing. So I passed art class throughout the years by tracing. Tracing is an amazing thing, right? You put a little light behind a picture, put a paper on top of that, and you can trace it out, right? You ever done that where you trace something in a coloring book or you trace something and, uh, and then hang it up like it's your own? <laughs> like you were the Van Gogh, but you traced it, right? This is the word here. The word literally means to trace, but, it, but he says you can't trace it. You can't trace it. It is inscrutable. It is incomprehensible. It is fathomless. It is, it is like finding something unique that is worth great riches. He was like, it's unsearchable riches. He's telling his unsearchable riches to bring to light the plan of this mystery that God calls us into a body, the church. He says this is the mystery. It's an incomparable ministry. I've been, had a revealed ministry. I have an incomparable ministry. But I want you to notice verse 10, because verse 10 actually takes a different road. Notice it says, so that. So he says, I've revealed this mystery. I have this incomparable ministry to tell everyone about the riches of Christ. You can't even count the riches of Christ. Go back to chapter one. You've been chosen. You've been, you've been redeemed by the Son. You've been secured by the Spirit. You can't even count that. You can't trace it. You can't find it. It's, it's unsearchable. And it's filled with the riches of God. And then he says this. So that, based upon those truths, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. All of a sudden, he shifts and says, this was my ministry, but God has given you a glorious mission. An incomparable ministry by Paul leads to a glorious mission by the church. Notice he says, 
the manifold wisdom of God. I love that idea. This is all the wisdom of God. You and I would never have understood the wisdom of God back in the Old Testament. If we lived with the Jewish people, we'd never had seen God's plan to reach the Gentiles. That would not have been in our framework, even though, by the way, God told them to go and make themselves a peculiar people on behalf of the world. They didn't do that. They didn't see that. And so Christ came, and obviously that was part of the plan of God as well before the ages. And all of a sudden now, this revealed mystery is that God's plan all along was Jew and Gentile together. This unsearchable riches of God to the Gentiles. And now he says, so that the manifold wisdom of God can be revealed. So that God's wisdom. Now I love this word manifold. The word manifold literally means multi-sided or many, many sided. It's like a Rubik's Cube. It's many sided. It's many colors. It's multifaceted. It's multicolored. It's multi. Now, I, I think this is not ironic that Paul uses that, that word. Why? Because if he's saying Jew and Gentile are together, then what is he saying? That the racial lines are broken down. That actually we are, as a body, multicolored, multifaceted, multi-sided. We come from different perspectives, different backgrounds, different ideas. But what happens, this multicolored comes together and produces the wisdom of God. People see it and say, wait a minute, those people don't get along. They can't get along. But it's the wisdom of God. The gospel breaks down the wall. And all of a sudden, God's wisdom is seen to a world that desperately needs it. Now, I want you to see, who does God say this comes through? Who does God say this thing comes through? Notice what he says. Verse 10. So that through the what? The church, the manifold wisdom of God can be made known. The very existence of the church, the very existence of Crossroads, of Crossroads Park Avenue, of Crossroads Lexington, of Crossroads Shelby, of Crossroads Prison Campus, Crossroads Online, the very existence of our church, one body, many places, has a much higher purpose than anyone would ever realize. We have a much higher purpose. Paul says here, we actually reveal, we demonstrate the manifold wisdom of God. Here's what he's saying. You and I, the church, is not, not the target of God's wisdom. We're the tool for God's wisdom. We've already been the target of God's wisdom that he saved us. But now we're the tool to demonstrate the wisdom of God to a lost and dying and divided world. We living together now demonstrate, serving together, loving each other in ways that no one else does, all of a sudden demonstrates to a divided world that there's something different about us, that there's something different about the Christ that we serve. We are the multifaceted nature of God's wisdom, and it's through the church. By the way, notice who it's to. It's through the church to the principalities and powers. Notice it says, now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I want you to think about this for a moment. That phrase, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Throughout the Bible, that phrase is used, and it's used to describe angelic beings. But mainly, if you look it up, mainly it's used for fallen beings, for demonic beings, for the enemy. Yes, it's used of angelic beings, but it also is used for demonic beings. So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, as you and I live out the body of Christ, as we live out as the church, we reveal the manifold wisdom of God, even the enemy sees God's wisdom and is astounded. Think about it. Go back, go back generations, you know, centuries and centuries ago, thousands of years. What did the enemy try to do? The enemy tried to wipe out the nation of Israel. Throughout the years, he's done that. Christ came, and what did the enemy think? Christ, I'm sure as Christ went to the cross, the enemy thought, he's defeated. 
Well, what happened? Three days later, he walked out of a grave. He was not defeated. So what did, what did Satan do? What did the enemy do? He attacked the church, right? The, the, the believers, Peter and John, put in prison right away. Stephen was martyred. Paul the apostle now is put in jail, right? What happens? It looks like the enemy's trying to snuff out all that God is doing. But what happened? God had a different plan, an uh, even greater plan, and that plan is to now bring the gospel through the church. What was just a few people now becomes a multitude of people around the world. And 2,000 years later, it's still going, and the enemy can't stop it. It just continues to multiply. Now, there are some hindrances. There are some filters that can get in the way. Filters like individualism. As Christians, there are many that are like, I don't need the church. I, I'm good on my own. I, I'm fine in my own life. I, I'm good. Individualism. Preference. Right? Our preferences can begin to get in the way. Be, begin to get in the way. Our preferences begin to filter out the wisdom of God. By the way, can I just say this? I found this in my own life. If our identity is riding on the differences with others, you're going to become a major in the study of differences. And eventually, you will build your identity on the fact that you don't like what somebody else does. i got to tell you, I'm seeing this all over the place on social media. Where we're building identity on our differences. And when I say this, I realize there are truths. Please do not hear me think I am saying there are not truths worth standing for. Absolutely. Biblical truths that we will die. The, the truth of life, the truth of the definition of marriage. These are things worth proclaiming. We would never apologize for that. But there are many, many sub, subtle things that are philosophical, that are cultural, that really don't find their place in the scripture because the scripture is about the gospel. And we major on these things. And what happens when you major on these things, it be, creates division and it, it takes away the credibility of the body of Christ. We ought to be careful what we say on social media. It's not just about our preferences, it's about the glory of God. Apathy, right? Apathy can be a hindrance. All of a sudden, we're, we're apathetic. We, we you look at life and say, well, I, I'm okay. I'm, I, I don't need anybody else. I'm, I got my ticket to heaven. I'm going to just wait till that calling, and I'll go to heaven. I'll live my life, and I'm apathetic. The other thing is lack of empathy. Imagine if we said, hey, help me understand what you're going through. Help me understand. Help me think the way you think. Now, again, I think there are certainly boundaries to that. But what if we actually had an empathy for one another to say, let's hear what's going on in your heart? By the way, I see this all the time in the church world. People make judgments about people without even knowing them, uh, without even knowing their story, without even knowing what they've gone through. What if we actually said, hey, can I sit down and hear your story? I want to know what you're going through. Now notice how Paul kind of wraps up this section, verse 12. In whom, Jesus Christ, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. He says, everything you need, everything that I have as a, an apostle of Jesus Christ, there's boldness, there's access, there's confidence, so that you don't have to lose heart. You are the manifold wisdom of God. Church, you are the manifold wisdom of God. He says, do not lose heart because the glorious mission goes on through you. Don't lose heart. God's plan was not just me, it was you. God's plan was not just the apostles and prophets, it was for the church to reflect God's wisdom in the glorious truth of the gospel that Jesus saves all. Jesus is able to save anyone. doesn't matter their background. Jesus saves. Now, Paul finally finishes his thought or goes back to his thought. Take a look at what he says, verse 14. For this reason, there it is again. So verse 1, for this reason, he goes pastor mode, goes on a tangent, rabbit trail. Then he comes back, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Why is he bowing his knees? Based upon the revelation, based upon the glorious mission that God has called us to. I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family, I love this, every family 
and heaven on earth his name, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he ends it by saying, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. Paul here says, for this reason, and then he begins to pray. And he prays for four things for the church, four things that they would reflect the manifold wisdom of God, that they would have boldness, access, and confidence. First of all, he prays that they would be strengthened with power. Strengthened with power. That's the first thing he prays for. That they would be a people strengthened with power. Now, I don't know if you notice it or not, all throughout Ephesians, he keeps coming back to this idea of power, doesn't he? He realizes that while he's in prison, there are many that are going to think he's weak. And so he comes back and keeps saying, you need to be strengthened with power. Strengthened with power. You've got power. Power more than, this is the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. He keeps reminding them that they are a people that have been strengthened with power. By the way, this is kind of the first sub-point there of the prayer of Paul, that they are a people strengthened with power. Secondly, notice what he says. That you would be, notice, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that Christ may dwell in your heart. He says, I pray for you that you would be a dwelling place for Christ. A dwelling place. Now, most of us here probably will say, wait a minute, Dave, I know Christ, so Christ is living in me. So what does it mean I need Christ to be a dwelling place in my heart? What does that mean? It's interesting the words that Paul uses. There are two words for the word indwelling. The first word is the word parakeo, parakeo. Parakeo literally means to dwell or to habit, but not necessarily permanently. Uh, you could parakeo uh, a, a hotel. You can parakeo a friend's house. It's not a permanent dwelling. The second word that he uses here is katoikeo. And katoikeo literally means to settle in. It means to make your place, to have your home. It reminds me of the first uh, single family home uh, my family and I bought. Uh, we lived in the Washington, D.C. area and we lived in townhouses. And uh, there, was a, there was an auction for this house through, house through the church that we were serving in. And so they had the auction. We made a bid on it and we happened to get the house. And we went in this house, um, the, the gentleman that owned it was actually uh, a part of World War II, and he was in the uh, world of espionage. And so there was a little bit of fear as he got older. And they put up bars on every window and every door. There were bars. And you walked into that house, and immediately it did not feel like home. I remember the first time we walked in after we bought it, and I was like, what did we get ourselves into? Slowly we began to make changes. We got people in there that could do great work and bathrooms and walls and painting and all these type of things. It took a while for that, that, the, the reality of that home, that house, to really become a home for us. That's what Paul is saying here. He is saying, listen, I know Christ is in you, but, but are you allowing Christ to dwell in your hearts, to go deeper, to actually permanently reside? See, Christ doesn't want to sojourn in our, our hearts. Christ is not trying to be a divine nomad. He is trying to permanently abide as a resident. What, what Paul is saying here is it's time for us to move Jesus out of the guest bedroom and give him the master bedroom of our lives. He says it's his place. When we begin to be obedient to what he calls us to, we're giving him what is rightfully his. He owns us. 
He says that we may realize that and allow Christ to dwell in our hearts. Notice he says next that we would be a people rooted and grounded in love. He says that you would be rooted and grounded in love. These words are are agricultural terms, right? Rooted and grounded. They're, They're crops and products that you're trying to produce in the, in the field. And he says that we would be rooted and grounded in love. He says that we may know the unmeasurable aspect of his, of his love for us, that he loves you. You want to measure the love of God? You can't. He, he says that we would, we would be aware of the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now think about that. He says you can't measure it because it surpasses knowledge, but I want you to know the breadth of it, the width of it. I want you to think about how big God's love is for you, that he would save you, and that he would bring you into his family. When you're walking through something difficult, when they're in the situation of wondering whether Paul was going to survive or not, and whether Christianity was going to survive, they just remember how much God loved them. He says, be rooted and grounded in the love. And then lastly, he says, be filled with the fullness of God. All that God is, let it permeate your life. Let it overwhelm you. So Paul says, listen, I've, I've been given this mystery that's now revealed. I've been given an incomparable ministry that leads to a glorious mission that God is calling you to. And then he ends this. I want you to see the ending of his prayer. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. He says, okay, this was mine, my mystery that God revealed to me. Now it's your mystery to show to the world, to show the manifold wisdom of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. And it's all not for you, but for him, to him be the glory in the church. Number four, abundantly more. God says, here's what I think. I believe God wants to do abundantly more through you than he could ever do through me. I believe God wants to do abundantly more than you could ask or think according to the power at work in you. Not for you, though, but to him be glory. This passage isn't saying you can just claim it and name it. It doesn't say grab, blab it and grab it. He's not talking about more. God wants to do more. I'm going to ask for this. I'm going to ask for that. That's not the point. Notice the phrase. To him be the glory. It's for his glory. It's all for his kingdom. It's for his glory in and through the church. By the way, I love this word abundantly more. It's actually three words in one. It's hooper ek periso or hooper ek periso. And it literally has the idea of these three words. It has the idea of it's a compound or very rare. And it indicates abundance, so abundant, it's overflowing. It's, it's exceedingly more abundantly. It's, it's overwhelming abundance. It's beyond all measure. It's super abundantly. He says God wants to do more than you can think in showing his wisdom to the world. He wants to do more than you can think. Can I tell you, as you think about the scriptures, you search the scriptures, you, you look into the church, you know what you find over and over again is that God wants to do more. He wants to do more for his glory. He wants to do more through his body. He wants to do more through your lives. And I know as a church, we are constantly walking the line of faith and obedience. We're constantly walking the line saying, God, what is the more that you're asking of us? Now, I want to end with just four simple questions as we take this text and say, how does this look in my life? Four questions. First of all, what are you asking God for right now? He says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or think. What are you asking for? See, for some of us, we are asking for things that are way too small. Now, I'm not talking about manipulating God. God is not a a genie in a bottle. I'm talking about saying, God, I want to be part of your grand story of glory. Help me do more for that. Help me to be able to accomplish more. Help me to be able to get through these difficult things. Let me ask you this. What are you asking God? Could it be that God is saying, I want you to pray big prayers. Pray not for crutches, but for wings. 
Pray big prayers. Secondly, what do I need that God has already provided? What do I need in my life that God has already provided? You, you're here this, this morning, you're, you're with us online this morning, you're at Shelby Lexington, and you, want, you need more love in your life? Be rooted and grounded in it. You're in a situation where you feel like maybe your, your, your relationship with Christ is kind of staling? Let him dwell in your hearts more. Let him have that permanent residence. Let him give him the master bedroom of your life. You, you're wondering if you have strength to get through this circumstance that you're walking through. He says, be strengthened with power. What do I need that God has actually already provided for you? Thirdly, how is your life a demonstration of God's wisdom of the gospel? How am I showing the manifold wisdom of God of the gospel in the way I interact with others? Listen, we are in a culture that is so divided. What would happen if we said, no, no, we're not divided. We're together for the cause of the gospel. We're together for the cause of Christ. Of all the people that are broken down and disunified, we aren't. How is my life a demonstration of God's wisdom in the gospel? And then lastly, what is the more that God is calling you to right now? If it says that God can do exceedingly more abundantly above all that you can ask or think, what is the more that God is calling you to right now? Can I tell you, there is woven inside of each of us a desire for something more, a craving to be a part of something bigger, greater, and more profound than our relatively meaningless day-to-day existence. Could it be that God is calling you to more, to reflect his gospel more? By the way, I love the way Ray Ortland in a book about this, he writes about this passage He says, don't waste your life in the false peace of worldly comfort and small ambition and being cool. Jesus is looking for gospel hooligans who want to get messy and relevant and involved. He wants to use you for the advance of the gospel. Don't miss out. Don't settle for a life that won't matter forever. Do you want people to say at your funeral, what a nice person, and that's it? Your life can count for many people forever. All he asks of you, all you can do is keep listening to him moment by moment and take the next step, whatever that may be. You provide your weakness and need, and he provides his strength, wisdom, and everything. And if we will together live in that way on mission, we will experience what only God can do. I believe God wants to do more. I believe God wants to do more in my life, I believe God wants to do more through your life. I believe God wants to do more in our church. And so I'm going to ask us across every campus, would you just bow your head where you are? And I want to take a moment to challenge us and even respond to this. You know, if we could just bow our head and close our eyes and just, we're not going to embarrass anybody. I just felt like at the end of this passage, this this transitional moment in the book of Ephesians, talking about our identity, what's going to matter in our lives? I'm going to ask you, Lexington and Shelby online, you can be a part of this as well. We want you to respond in the same way. And maybe you're here and you would just confess and say, Dave, I want God to do more in my life. There's more that I believe God wants from me. There's more that God is calling me to. And it's not just a list. It's a relationship that goes a little bit deeper. And you would just right now where you are say, say, just in this moment as a, a declaration of your faith to trust God to do that, just to stand up where you are. Stand up where you are and say, you know what? I want God to do more in my life. I want more of God. I I want to understand more of his love. I want to reflect his manifold wisdom to a world that's divided. I I want more. And I'm asking God to do more abundantly above all that I can ask or think for his glory. Not mine. Not something I just want. For his glory. Would you just right where you are, across every campus, would you just stand and say, 
I want to do more. I want to live more. I want more of Christ. I want to reflect his glory more. Anyone like that? You just stand where you are. I want more. I'm going to ask you this question. Folks, I'm blown away by how God is at work through our church in the midst of a pandemic. Again, I can't wait to share some of those things with you just as we work through some of those details, but God is at work. And how many of you here at campus, our campuses would just say, you know what, I want to stand to say, I believe God wants to do more through our church. I believe he's not done with us. This pandemic doesn't stop his gospel going forth. And I want to stand to say, you know what, I believe God wants to do more through his church. I, I want to be a part of a church that God is doing more through. And you would just stand to say, God, we want you to do more through our church. It's a declaration to say, God, we're all in this together. That we are an army of people who may be different, may not normally get along. We may be natural born enemies, but because of Christ, we are in a body together. And we're saying, God, through us, may, let your manifold wisdom be revealed to the world. And you just stand to say, I want that for the church. I believe that for the church. I'm asking God to do more in our church for his glory. Would you bow with me as we pray? God, I want to thank you for this reminder. Lord, this chapter 3 of Ephesians just hits home. Lord, this revealed mystery that led Paul to this incomparable ministry that now the manifold wisdom of you, God, is demonstrated through a church that is made up of every background, every tribe, every tongue, every language, every different, and you bring us together as a body, we who probably wouldn't be together, you bring us together to reflect your great glory so that you can even do more, more than you could do in Paul's day, more than you could do to the early church, more for you. Not for us, not for our glory, not even, not even for our, our benefit here on earth, but for your glory. That we get to be a part of a grand narrative of gospel, of the good news that you save. God, I pray if there's any here that are walking through difficulties, that they will not lose heart because they get to be a part of a bigger plan, of the bigger plan of your manifold wisdom. God, I pray for those that maybe they, they don't know you. God, I pray that they would see that in you there is more to life than just living this measly life here on earth, a life divided and, and, and chaos and confusion, but a life of value, a life with boldness and access and confidence through faith in you, that they who are dead can be made alive. God, I believe you want to do more through us. God, we're confessing together as an army of people, we're not satisfied, we're not done. Or what seems to be a pause moment in history of this pandemic. God, we believe you're working in ways we can't see. And we're asking that you would give us the strength. Root us in love. Fill us more with your indwelling reality. The experiential reality of you in us. May we be filled with all the fullness of God so a world divided will see you. You. In your name, Jesus. Our Savior, our King. The wisdom giver gospel maker, the savior of our souls. We praise you. We celebrate you. Do exceedingly abundantly of all that we could ask or think. You, Jesus, your strong name. Amen.